0: Welcome to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club Show, presented by Honey Stinger. This is a podcast that will make you want to get outdoors and will give you some great ideas as a sport parent, athlete, or coach. Born in the beautiful mountain town of Steamboat Springs, Colorado, the Winter Sports Club was founded over a century ago and now serves a majority of kids in our community and has produced more Winter Olympians than any other club in North America are secrets and great stories to share as we play year-round in these mountains we call home. Our calling is to develop complete athletes on and off the mountain by cultivating a passion for the outdoors and a love of sports at all levels. Stay tuned to hear from Olympians, athletes of all ages, coaches, experts, and people who are doing amazing things to make an impact in our community and in their sport.
1: everyone. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former professional triathlete who finally discovered the joys of skiing in my late 40s when I moved to Steamboat Springs with my family. We immediately discovered the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club, and it's become a huge part of our lives as my husband, Tim DeBoom, is a ski and bike coach, and my daughter, Wilder, has found happiness, friendship, and joy through skiing, jumping, riding, and more. I am thrilled to bring the positive energy of the Winter Sports Club to people all over the world. Thanks for listening. Now let's get started. Hey, everyone. We're back and better than ever with a very special guest today, Olympian Mick Deerdorf. Mick, thanks so much for taking some time to chat with me today.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I'm really excited to do this podcast with you.
1: Oh, I'm super psyched. I only wish we could be sitting in those like lounge chairs in the library. I like this little study room. This is cool, but...
2: We got to test them out. They're pretty... We need, we need one of those in our homes, for we sure. We do,
1: and we would get no studying done if we were actual students at this point. And we're students of a lot of things in life, but not academics right mm-hmm. now, right? Um, you are definitely a student of your sport, and we are squeezing this in before you head off to what you are calling your final event in your career, the Snowboard World Champs. Is that what it is, Snowboard World Champs?
2: Yep, World Championships, and yep, it's going to be my last one.
1: Okay, wait a minute. First of all, how does it feel to say that out loud?
2: It's actually a little crazy because um, earlier, just going into the season in general, my plan was to have my last World Cups be uh, the World Cups I went to Um, in Italy before Christmas, and uh, I fully was prepared for those to be my last one. My family all came over to watch, and that was going to be the big final hoorah. And I I thought in the back of my head, if I were able to do well enough in those races to qualify for world championships, I was for sure going to do world championships. And that ended up happening. I ended up getting in a big final in Italy, which was just such a crazy you know, I think it was all just kind of because of my mental state I was in. I just was just having so much fun, didn't really care, worry about results. And I ended up getting in a big final and got fourth place. And then now I qualified for world championships. So it's kind of one of those events. If you, if you have a spot, why would you miss it? This would be my third one in my career. So,
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing. Like most of the time it's the opposite. You're like, I'm just going to get to this next world champs and then be done. And you were like, I'm, I'm going to be done. Oops, I qualified again. Like, right, That's pretty right. cool. Um, you know, but retirement's such a, a crazy uh, kind of mental game that we play with ourselves. Because what if you're out there having so much fun? And what if you win another world champs? You're going to hang it up for sure? You're going to hang it up on a, you know, on a ringer and just like call it a day? Or you can be like, oh, maybe there's
2: one more. Well, I don't. Yes, I would absolutely. <laughs> I think that would be the best way to go out for sure. Just like go out on top, and that—that's kind of um, been my idea. Or, I guess since since the 2018 Olympics, I decided you know I've I've got one more Olympic cycle in me. Wanted to make it to the 2022 games, and that was it. And then um, after after that season, it just. It, You know, it was a crazy couple of years dealing with COVID and that was really not how I wanted to end my career. I felt like our just general travel and everything was just not as fun. And I've always done this sport because it's so much fun and um, traveling with my team is is always such a blast. So I think that's kind of what led me into wanting to do a couple more races this year and really end on a fun note.
1: I love that. You know, it's funny. I'm starting at the end. Let's go back in time. Um, <laughs> right. We're going to come back to like your last race and send you off with a big hurrah uh, at, the, at the end of this interview. But let's go back and talk. Let's just continue the discussion about your career, which I think often starts before the best athletes actually find the sport they do. So you grew up in Steamboat, right?
2: Grew up in Steamboat, yep.
1: yeah. What were you doing as a little kid?
2: I was skiing. I started Started skiing when is I was. Is that like
1: tap? Like, how does that feel? <laughs> Isn't there like the ski yeah. snowboard thing? You know,
2: there definitely is, but I think a lot of, I would say majority of people started on skis. If you're starting really young, I think it's easier to stand up on skis or at least do both. Um, and that was definitely. Uh, my parents moved to Steamboat in when when I was one year old, and um. I was skiing at 18 months old with a harness going down preview at the resort. And I just got, I was so in love with skiing and just all the, every winter sport, sledding, snowballs, I guess, when you're a little kid. Um, and got into Winter Sports Club doing the, uh, I'm trying to remember, What's the like little, little programs when you're little toots Viking when I was four? Thing, yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh,
1: gosh, how cute.
2: So that's how I got started and then got started in the ski racing thing. And that was, um, you know, so many memories of my childhood just wrapped around ski racing. And also, like, um, some of my best friends still to this day, like, are the ones that I made when I was the little tiny kid ski racing. So that's that's really cool. But then I decided to go a different path when I was nine, I decided that I wanted to play hockey and learn how to snowboard that winter, which I think might have been a little devastating to my parents because they I was a really good ski racer, but they fully supported it. And yeah.
1: So wait, you so then what happened? You were like, okay, I'm gonna let's put these skis in the closet and let's explore these other sports. First of all, Everything we read and hear and you've heard podcasts that I've conducted on this topic say that diversification is good. We want kids to do multiple sports, especially when they're young. So I get like, you know, parents being kind of bummed because they're like, this is the thing we all did together. But um, but it's really cool that you spread your wings at that age and that you were somehow I'm not sure my daughter could have uh, enough like self direction to and you know, desire even to do these things to tell us that. She's kind of was like waiting for us to go, okay, this is the thing you should do next. Right. So that says something about you that at 10 you were like, no, I want to try some new things.
2: Right. I think and I'm I've always been the biggest advocate of that too for young athletes as just full diversification, um, trying everything. And I think like I really embodied that when I was a little kid. I just, I did every sport. I, uh, I think I just got bored with ski racing because it was just right, left, right, left. And I, um, I wanted to go huck myself off of jumps and I could have, at that point, it would have made sense also to like go into freestyle skiing. Cause I really like that, but I, it's hard to remember, but I was like, I want to try something totally new and, um, play hockey and learn how to snowboard and I think it was just all about, so, like, fun for me. I just had so much fun doing the hockey. And then um I, I remember I was, it was all kind of about wanting to do hockey then. And then the bonus of that was um not being competing in skiing and, and learning how to snowboard. And then that's when I really fell in love with snowboarding. And so the following year, I was like, I want to join the Winter Sports Club snowboard team. So.
1: So when you did that, were you like, okay, I don't have time for hockey anymore. Was hockey like a you know, a one year wonder?
2: Yeah, it was. I'm one and done.
1: Oh, oh no, and that's a lot of gear. That's a lot of yeah. equipment to buy for one year. But you know what? It led you to the next thing, which I love. How cool. I love this path. So by ten, you were uh, you were being what? You were snowboarding at Winter Sports Club. This was kind of your main I sport. Think,
2: I think eleven was my first year for a sports club snowboard team. And yeah, I was just just learning about how to learning the fundamentals of snowboarding. I really loved all the freestyle stuff. Like that's um why I got into snowboarding in the first place was wanting to learn uh learn jumps and rails and the half pipe and that's uh, really what the only focus I had. And then I uh after my first year on our sports club I believe the next year I did some competitions and I was, like, new also. You know, there's kids that grew up here that uh, were snowboarding since they were four where I was skiing. Or, and they were, you know, so far above me in the freestyle events and stuff. But I definitely learned really quickly. Um, then I had a coach, Cactus, that when I was Wait, your coach's
1: 12. name was Cactus?
2: Cactus. So okay. cat their Steamboat family... His wife is Erin Nemick. She's um, ex-snowboard cross racer, Olympian, and ex-games athlete. So that's when I got to know them. And uh, he he pushed me into trying border cross for the first time. He was like, you're, you're really good at just pointing it straight down the mountain, not making any turns. And you're always just like racing everybody on the mountain. I think you need to try this border cross event, which... I didn't even care about it all. That was not what what I uh wanted to do. It was all about the freestyle stuff, which is kind of funny now. Like now that I'm coaching kids the same age, it's like I feel like I'm trying to do the same thing with, with kids that age. But um
1: Well, let me just say, like, actually kudos to him because You know, you got your hands full with a bunch of young, especially boys, being reckless, crazy, and doing all the stuff. You know, not that you were reckless, but you know what I mean. You had probably had a lot of energy and excitement about doing all the wild, fun, glamorous stuff. And he saw something in you. And that is you know, it's hard for coaches to really single kids out and see those individual differences and what might make them shine. So, like, knowing that, do you carry any of that forward as a coach today where you really like getting to know these kids and paying attention in a different way because of your experience?
2: For sure, for sure. And I, I also think, like, at that age, too, it. Um, I almost wonder, I don't know if he was thinking, like, Oh, he's going to be so great at this. It probably was more like, I think he's going to have just so much fun doing this. Like, it's just a different event where I might, that my style of snowboarding then fit it well. But I think at that age, it's just all about like what, what you can get kids to be really, uh, like good focus get, because they're having so much fun. And just, it's just all about like, that enjoyment when they go to a race, it's, it's tough to see kids that are like at a young age and so just set on results. And that like that's just really what it's not about, you know, especially when you're that young.
1: I mean, that's one of the beautiful things of having you come back full circle. And we're going to talk about this more later, but and be able to use that experience, you know, mm-hmm. to help guide these kids. But back then, so you're what, like 12-ish? at that yep. time um how let's talk a little bit about your parents there's a lot of parents listening to this show um how did they support you you know what do you remember about your parents as parents of kid athlete
2: i just from they they always were there to support me in any anything i wanted to do every every other sport um i i, I like I said, like bouncing around from all these sports. They were the ones that when I started doing events, like no matter what, they would both be there watching the events. Our whole family would come, that kind of thing. Um, and, just, you know, picking me up from school, taking when they couldn't leave work at times and getting me to the house and then all that. stuff. So, so just, just the ultimate support. hype parents, I would say.
1: Yeah. yeah. So did they at what point did you and your support squad realize that you had a gift that might be able to go to the next level?
2: Probably around like fourteen, fifteen, that mm. high
1: school age, like entering high school age. Entering high school, Pretty yeah. Young. Yeah.
2: Possibly a little before that, but um I had I had some success at the at some USASA regional events, but you know, it was like, uh, there's not that many kids and all that. And once I started to, uh, do USASA nationals, um, the my first two, I, I, my third nationals when I was a breaker boy, I think I was 14, I ended up winning nationals. And I think that was kind of a big turning point where it's like, all right, okay, like that's, the first national competition where I'm competing against kids across the country where I had a big result like that. And um, I think that just fired me up as a you know young athlete wanting, like just gave me a lot of motivation to really push it in the sport. And that's, that's kind of when I decided that's what I wanted to do, but I was still, still doing the freestyle events as well for quite a while.
1: Okay. So you were kind of like a multidiscipline snowboarder. Mm-hmm. which is cool. Um okay, so at that point were you like, "Huh, maybe I can make some money doing this?" Like did it hit you that like this could actually become a career?
2: Not probably not until more so like the end of high school. Um when I started started traveling around the um Noram circuit, it just that just seemed like so far off at that point. That I don't think I, that was really like definitely, definitely had, didn't think about money or that kind of thing. But I do think when I was like younger is when I started getting those dreams like maybe one day I can be an Olympian in this sport.
1: Right. Okay. So that's super cool. All right. Well, here's the thing you know, what do you call it? Spoiler alert that happened.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Anyone listening knows because they've watched you. In two Olympics. So before we get to the Olympics, uh, can you look back on your younger years in like stages or is it all just sort of a blur? Like I got on a snowboard at like 10 ish and then the next thing I remember, I'm, you know, on the national team.
2: I definitely know there's, there's some pretty distinct stages, I would say. I think that younger years for the most part up until, I became competitive on like the Noram circuit or pretty much a blur. That was just all to me. That's just like when I learned how to snowboard, like getting, um, really just honing my like fundamentals of snowboarding and learning to love the sport. And, you know, it was really, I just remember doing everything, like trying to get good at everything, trying to ride the mountain, ride the entire mountain. Um, and then once, yeah, once it, moved on onto the, uh, Noram circuit and doing international competitions that really took a big turn. Um, it kind of, that's kind of when I decided like, this is what I'm doing. I'm focusing on the sport. And, uh, it was really not until, so had a pretty cool thing happen when I was, um, a senior in high school. I, uh, was kind of the, the, like, uh, underdog, but sh- athlete on the NORAM tour. I was quite a bit younger than most of my competitors that were really competing for like a NORAM tour title. And I just ended up having a breakout year when I was uh, 16, 17 or 17. Yeah. And ended up winning the NORAM Cup tour title at 17 years old. And I was the, this little crazy fact. I was the first um, American to ever win it. It only ever been won by Canadians at that point. Also, I, re- I need to, like, look back because it is a newer sport. Like, I don't know how long the Norams have been going on before that point. But that was pretty darn cool. I think that was really when, um, you know, that I had people outside of just myself coming and saying, like, this could really be a, you know, big thing like a sport that you're really good at and you should focus on and so I had the opportunity to go and compete at every single World Cup for the 2010 Olympic season for Vancouver which this was just I mean also new to me Um, and I didn't had never done any World Cups before and
1: and just so people listening know, like the World Cup is the top level right. of racing right. in the world. And before that, you know, you were doing the next level down, right? Or yeah. two levels. Yeah. yeah.
2: And yeah, and so I, I decided that that summer, like I wasn't going to go. Um, I totally planned to go to University of Colorado in Boulder. I had my housing all set up with my best bud. And then I end up winning the Noram and get this opportunity to go potentially try to qualify for the Olympics. I I think I was really, you know, that, the thought of that was uh, pretty, I'd say, forefront in my mind then because I just had so much success. I kind of felt like, you know, I was on top of the world and like, felt like I could totally do it and just like come in and qualify for the Olympics. So I like gave it everything I had. And, um, also traveling on the world cup is just, you know, astronomically expensive compared to traveling around North America, doing some Noram events. And I didn't have the money to be able to afford a coach to come with me. So the U S team said that I could just try, like just tag along and try like be with their travel plans as far as transportation, vans, flights, um, hotels, and stuff goes, but I didn't have any coaching. I didn't have any wax teching, which in our sport is actually like one of the biggest things on the on the top level. so
1: so you were know, flying yeah. solo, like you really didn't have that support crew that everybody else had.
2: Right. Yeah, you yeah. were playing
1: on a different level, and part of it, I think what you're saying is part of it was financial. Like, you would have had to pay all these people, but where are you going to get that money?
2: Right. And you're
1: trying to prove yourself still.
2: Yep, yep. And that summer, I worked um, 40 hours a week doing construction, trained, working out all summer long, and then uh, started a big GoFundMe, and raised a ton of money from just friends and family in the community, which was, that was just crazy. At that point, it was a big kind of turning point to realize, like, how many people I had supporting me. You know, I guess up until then, it was just, I was doing this for, because I love it, for fun. And then now, like, all of a sudden, I realized, like, oh, my gosh, I got this huge support system of people that, like, believe in me and want to see me chase this. Um, so that was really cool. And also, I think that made everything mean a little more. And then once I do end up going to these races and just get, you know, thrown in to the dog pound with no like, I was, <laughs> very, very quickly uh, realized how big of a step it was from Norams to World Cups, and
1: and you were still young. I mean, were you among the younger competitors?
2: Yep, I was. There were. It's actually kind of crazy. My. Um, I would say like my graduating class or my age group of competitors in border cross, there's been like a few really good athletes that we like grew up together from around the world. So there was definitely a few other athletes, um, from other European countries that were my age, but, um, I was by far the youngest on the U S side. And the other thing too, is like coming in, um, to the world cup. We The U.S. were so dominant for for the history of snowboard cross in the beginning. You know, we really kind of started the sport. Um, we had Seth Westcott and Nate Holland. These guys just absolutely dominated the sport. You know, Seth won the first two Olympics. Um, Nate Holland won seven or X Games gold medals. And we had Lindsey Jacob the won everything. So it was quite scene to come into and then like they were the top guys but then there was a huge team of other athletes and they were just knocking off podiums left and right so to like come in and like
1: that's the bar
2: right it was a huge bar which has you know completely changed as the sport has developed right. um,
1: well it it's interesting too and I, I'm going to bring this up not to like be embarrassing or anything but a lot of people listening, their kids are around the age that you were, right? Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing happening puberty. Like you're what, mid to late teens, you know, like 17, 18 years old, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, there's your body's still changing. Like you're not the guy you are today. And not only your body, but your mind. Like you are still in the heat of developing all of those mental tips and tricks and tools that we need to get us into our 30s, 40s, 50s and survive this life. You right. know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So do you like looking back, are you like, whoa, yeah. Like I wasn't mature enough in either physically or emotionally, mentally to be able to handle it even if I did start winning you know like was dominant at that age
2: yeah literally all of the above <laughs> like it was yeah definitely physically because i don't think it was really until like that summer before that world cup season my first world cup season where i had really like gone all out on on uh physical training and the, and i just wasn't there yet like i wasn't I would say, like my body had changed like a ton, in, in the later years, once I really like learned what working working hard in the gym was, right? I had that I had that work ethic coming from working construction in the summers, but I didn't realize what it was to put that into physical training in the off season yet. I went into that season with kind of high expectations that I could just kind of ride on my snowboard talent, which I did have. I would say, like I would definitely probably was one of the most talented riders coming up at that age. But yeah, I just didn't have all the other things that it took. And so I just came in on a high horse and I just got knocked off of it so fast. Like first, um, 10 world cups, I didn't qualify. So in snowboard cross, you gotta make the top 32 in the, in the timed qualifications when you go down by yourself to get into the heats. And If you don't, I mean, that's always been a difficult thing. It happens, like, not qualifying. Sometimes you just, you know, make a mistake and you don't. And, like, weather can come into it, too, at times. So, I would say, like, a handful of times since then, or since I've really, like, it's been my career. Like, have I not qualified? But then, like, I just couldn't figure out, like, how how I could get faster. I really didn't. You know, I didn't know anything, and it was just super devastating to to feel like I was, you know, at the top, could do anything, and then like come to realize like I was so far off, so far off.
1: Did you entertain thoughts of quitting
2: after that season? um, Well, I think there was kind of one moment. It was the last Olympic qualifier that year, and I think it was like my twelfth World Cup start. I actually ended up qualifying, just barely getting in there, I think, at, like, 29th. And stuff had kind of started to come together. I really was embraced by the whole team, by all the athletes. They really took me under their wing and helped me out. The coaches, I really don't think, had time for me. Like, it was, I, I would say, pretty um, – I felt a little jaded from the coaches then, but looking back on it's it like they had their hands so full with – a massive team especially like being part of the team now for feels like forever they just really didn't have time for like this young kid that was coming in and was me but um so I ended up qualifying which was just absolutely huge and then out of the start gate in the first heat I was in second place and so in, in snowboard cross you just got to be top two when you finish the the heats to keep advancing top half of the heats keep advancing and I was in a great spot and I would have totally advanced and I just like nerves got to me and I took myself out and had a big crash and and that was that but and so I think that I did get some um a little bit of motivation from that to to keep going but at the same time just after that season ended I was pretty devastated like realizing that I, you know, what I thought I did have, I didn't. And not to mention then I, I lost all my um, fist points that year because I was just solely doing all these world cups and not doing the, the Noram events or stuff like that, where I, you know, got all the fist points to do world cup uh-huh. in the first place. So that really just knocked me down like in ranking emotionally, mentally, everything because basically did the did the was at the top of the top for my for the up-and-coming americans and then next thing i know the following season i'm ranked way below all these other guys that i had previously beat to be where i was and uh that was really like i would say that was like the lowest point in my career that i really had to pull through and and yeah i did have thoughts about like is this what i want to do like you know, questioning myself, doubting myself.
1: What made you decide you were going to push through?
2: I really think it was just like kind of coming back to realizing all the support I had behind me. Um,
1: yeah, I you know. mean, I, I, I'm just hearing... You had your parents, you had this whole community, you had mentors like the other athletes on the team. Yeah. They didn't have to take you under their wing. They could have been jerks and been like, you know, he might beat me someday, so I'm not going to give any tips and tricks to this one. And you did have some coaches, you know, maybe not at the time on that level, but along the way you did who saw. Oh, I definitely did. Yeah. Yeah. Who saw what you had. And it is part of when you crash, every athlete has to crash. No yeah, athlete yeah. has a perfect hockey stick trajectory. It just right. doesn't happen. And, um, you know, a lot of athletes peel off then. They're like, that was it. I guess I'm done. I, I guess I'll do the backup plan, college, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but something inside of you said, okay, it's I got to push through. What, what was it? it? Was it just that like, deep seated love for the sport cuz you you've remarked on that many times i feel like you spent your childhood developing like a core foundation of love for the snow and the fun that you have on it and those are two words that i think are really important to do this for the rest of your life you know yeah if you don't have those yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't be playing around today you wouldn't be leaving tomorrow let's right. just say that yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah yeah so
1: yeah what got you through that that really low point that,
2: that really is it I was like I I think I did kind of um lose the love for snowboarding through that season a little bit and then just having my support system and, and talking about coaches to um I wasn't able to bring my coach John Casson who's um was was part of the program uh, the Winter Sports Club program is the director of the program. Uh, when I first got into it, um, he kind of uh, formed into border Cross coach eventually, just because he didn't really have somebody to do it at that point. And then he just completely fell in love with border Cross too. So he like he would have absolutely like died to be there with me that whole season, but it was just a financial thing. So I had, you know, he was a major support system, like, after that season, then I was, you know, back with the Winter Sports Club, and uh, then that's kind of when I was back in Steamboat, you know, doing national competitions rather than international competitions, and really, like, just fell, found a love for snowboarding again, just, like, having fun with, um, having fun with friends and, and some of my other teammates here, and Travel around to smaller events, and that's, like, just kind of found a love for it again after being knocked down.
1: So, I w- I, you know, this just crossed my mind because a lot of people listening probably have this impression. Snowboarding has quite a reputation as being, like, a party sport. And like, you know, a lot of people do drugs and, like, you know, get high and, like, ride the lifts and the snowboard, and that's what it's about for them. Do you? Ha- did you always identify as, like, pure on athlete or were you also, did you go through a phase of like a party phase where you were like, you know, had to, had to tackle that and figure out if that was going to be how part of your, I guess,
2: uh,
1: just part of your lifestyle in the sport.
2: Yeah. Um, no, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. It wasn't just all, yeah. I think in my first year on world cup. Seeing how these are like older, you know, they're adults that have been doing this forever. After races, they would party like rock stars, and you know, I like coming in when I was eighteen years old. I was like, "This is the coolest thing ever!" Like, yeah, you get I, caught up in, <laughs> yeah, like I, just, I want to be a part of this, like, and then come to realize like they they party like rock stars because they work hard enough to be you know, like that's literally all they do is work so hard and then they blow off steam when they've reached this reached a big accomplishment or um stuff like that. Of course there's, you know, people that do it more than others, but
1: I've just seen, you know, athletes take themselves out, you know, by falling too hard down that party hole.
2: For <laughs> sure. For sure. And I I think there's like it's definitely something that you you gotta there's a time and a place, I would say, and you have to be realistic about um, just what you want and what you're what you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish, and like that the partying side of things just absolutely derail it
1: I'm just thinking about the adrenaline waves that you ride yeah i mean your your sport is interesting because it's sort of a mix of. Endurance and adrenaline, you know? Yep. And, um, I, I recently was talking to a well known researcher about this too. And, and it's like the Luke Brosterhouse is the mental, uh, performance coach, right? The mindset yep. Yep. performance coach for the team. And he, we were talking about the difference between being an endurance athlete and an adrenaline athlete and how, what you need to do mentally to cope with the pitfalls of your sport to basically be able to shake yourself off and and get back up and keep going. And um, I think it's interesting because you are literally on this wave weekly, you know, maybe daily sometimes where you're riding up a wave and you get all this like boost of dopamine because you're so excited and then you're coming down the wave, right? So you're constantly riding up and down this wave and it's not like sustainable for your whole life. But to be able to step back and appreciate it at the time and learn how to manage it, I think is key for uh being able to continue enjoying the things you do. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. Well, does anything no, resonate I, with you there? Oh
2: my gosh. Like you <laughs> you have no idea. That's really that that's just how this sport has been for me. Like that's what I've seen in this in this sport is like it really is just major highs and lows, and you're like, you know everyone's comes kind of from an adrenaline junkie side getting into it and then um the competition side comes into it and it's just like it is just emotions all over the place like it, you know it's being on the on the US team there are there are people that are really good at dealing with all the mental t- like challenges that there are and there're some people that are really bad at it and um i really think like that just, it really like pulled into um, whether or not you're going to be happy traveling around the world doing this. And that's a huge thing I've seen is like, you know, sometimes people like there's miserable champions, you know, and mm. that's, that's painful. It's really tough to see. And I've really seen it firsthand. And I I think that's kind of something in my career that, like, I will pride myself on is, like, just I don't really... I I, I guess I've just, like, gone through so much in this sport is what kind of got me some really good mental toughness and just, just all the hard work that got into it. But I think that has been something that uh, I personally have done really well and have also, like, able to help out teammates and be a good um, member of, of the team because I was, like, very strong mentally and just always would stay positive and um, deal with adversity well. It's, like, when you're traveling around the world, so many things can go wrong or throw a kink in your plans or just, you know, you show up to an event and the course is not, you know, it's super dangerous and you feel like everyone's going to get injured or stuff like that. It's, like, there's certain ways to handle it and there's some ways that um, can be very negative and it's just all about like complaining and and that kind of thing or it's just or being positive and thinking about like what can we do in the best way to make this situation better so
1: that's a learned skill I'm just saying yeah somebody taught you that and that's an amazing skill to have and you know while we dissect it I think we need to take a quick honey stinger break because I don't know about you but like this is this is really like an awesome and an endurance um, conversation today. I wanted to...
2: My favorite fuel.
1: Oh, my gosh. We'll talk about what you're opening right now.
2: New bar. Okay. Not even, not even released yet. Oh, I think it's released today. Is it today?
1: Yes. It's the new Honey Stinger Oat and Honey Bar, and it's in there. They've got the three-tier approach. The prepare, perform, and recover products. So they're going to like cover us athletes like all the way through. This is in the prepare. We actually should have eaten this before we started our <laughs> right. conversation. I'm taking a bite right now.
2: This is our endurance podcast mm-hmm. right here. Mm-hmm. No, I love this. It's like it's similar to their nut and seed bar, except it, it's covered with uh, it. it it's, it's more like a honey based inside and covered with oats on the outside. It's so mm. good.
1: It's so good. Okay. This is what I sound like when I'm, when I talk with my mouth full. Um, actually, I thought it was like Rice Krispies on the outside. But then when I went in, they're like, no, it's quinoa crisp, which is cool because quinoa has a lot more protein. Actually, one of the yeah. highest protein foods for like a carb kind of thing. I love it. It's delicious. It tastes like I'm eating breakfast. I put a little. Extra honey on the side and dip it. So, you've been a honey stinger athlete for a long time.
2: Officially, for this will be my third year. And um, so,
1: what do you, yeah, how do you use their products?
2: Oh, gosh, all the time. I, um, what I'm doing when I'm like competing, my one of my favorite things is the chews. Like, I, I'll just pop the chews nonstop and I really. Once I started started eating those, I really noticed a difference of just being you kind of feel that lull where you're like just kind of feeling like dehydrated, and your body's like not, starts getting less um, snappy and
1: and your mental side goes. like I always sure. get crabby, yeah, and I'm like, "Why am I crabby?" And then I'm like, "Oh, must eat. Yeah, need calories." And like, nothing digests the same as something like a Honey Stinger Energy Chew, or let's just say a Honey Stinger Energy Chew. And I love it. We've got the fruit smoothie flavor here. They taste so good. Amazing.
2: So I'd say, like, that, that's that been, like, one of the biggest things is the chews and the hydration stuff. When I'm competing, when I'm mountain biking, when I'm, you know, going, I'm, when, like, this this year I was hunting nonstop and just eating, hiking all over the place, and that was all I was eating. So, um, and then, yeah, like, it's really nice to be able to have the the waffles and the bars as well. Like if you, you know, don't have time to eat a big meal beforehand or so like just they just keep you going and they're delicious.
1: They're delicious. And you <laughs> know what? They're great on their own, but I've been known to take a couple of the honey stinger waffles, slather some peanut butter in between any of them like a sandwich. It's <laughs> okay. pretty awesome. Um, all right, you guys. Go to honeystinger.com and use the code SSWSC podcast for 20% off your order. Do it. Pause right now. Go over there. Do it. Buy some good stuff and definitely check out their new oat and honey bar. It's uh, endorsed by a two time Olympian and soon to be on his last world championship team. All right. Back to the show. Yeah. All right, Mick. How are you feeling? Feeling great. I feel very energized now. Uh, yes. We're you know staying your fueled up. I know. It is so great. So you know, through this whole conversation, I get the sense that through the ups and downs of your career, and we're about to get to the way ups, that you have figured out like you know who you are and you accept yourself. And like you don't apologize for who you are. You don't apologize for the place that you inhabit in this world. And I think that is such a beautiful thing. Is that an accurate statement? Do you feel like you know who you are?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, and yeah, it's, you know, I guess that takes a long time to, and, you know, mold, mold you into the person you're going to be. But yeah, I think that's, that's how I've transformed my life. And that's where I'm at now. And it's pretty great.
1: You know, I just, I, I feel confidence. Um, like inner peace, self love, like these are all things that you can't get to this point without going through the tough stuff. But once you do, it's like you can just be grateful for even the hard things in your life. Would you say that any of that is like feels right?
2: It, yeah, absolutely, feels right. I really can't say it any better. <laughs> I don't. It, that is. It's just.
1: So were you true. were you like at this place when you did? you know, make your big breakthrough and win your world championships and qualify for your two Olympics? Were you already at that place? And like, that's why and how you got there? Were you still working through this journey?
2: I would say I was on my way and getting close to being at that place. But um, I think until I really had some success on the World Cup, it's all about like standing on that podium, right? That's what it's always been about for me. And like, um, I don't think it was until like that started happening where I like always had a chip on my shoulder before that. And now, yeah, now I, like then after kind of having having success at the top level is when you feel that sense of accomplishment and. and I mean, at least that's just that's just how it was for me because I I was determined to do that. That was my goal. Uh, It could have easily gone the other way, and that's just how the sport goes. Like, not everyone is going to have that same journey, but um, and not to say that I wouldn't be in the same spot today if that hadn't happened. But
1: how'd you let go of the chip on your shoulder?
2: um, I well, I. I don't think that when you are in those stages where you do have a chip on your shoulder, I don't think at that point that I was really realizing that. I think uh, once I, I... would probably say when I qualified for, for my first Olympics in 2018, that was... I, I would say that was the ultimate chip on my shoulder that I had because I'd been through two Olympic. Qualification cycles and the one before 2018, I really felt like I did have a good chance, and just that you know, you try so hard. And at that point, like that, I was really, um, really focused. I felt like I had everything that I needed to do to make the Olympic team in 2014, and to come up short, that's like just so tough. So I think that made, um, just uh, fueled the fire and more gave me more determination to do it the next time, and just really like know that I could do it. So I think once, once I got checked that milestone off, that was pretty huge for m- just my career in and snowboarding.
1: Well, and I think too, a lot of times people finally have their big breakthroughs when they've gained some perspective that this is not all that matters and this is not all of who I am. Right. It's like the pressure's off. You know, the more races you do, the more blurry they all get. Like, I did a lot of races or a lot of events, you know. I don't really remember them all by this point in my career. And they matter, but at the end of the day, you move forward and you learn that from each event you do, whether you win or lose. Like, you're still the same person, right? So when you finally did qualify for the Olympics. So your first Olympics was 2018. Can you talk through that experience?
2: The qualification process is just like, that honestly is so much more difficult than going and competing at the Olympics. I, I would almost compare, like just just getting through the qualification and making the team feels like one of the biggest accomplishments of, of my career because it's just, you're competing against... um. Like in our country, we we have such a strong team, and to be one of the top four guys is like that it's a huge accomplishment in itself. And then so, in 2018, that was really like my breakout year. Um, my first podium was uh, our one of the first World cups going into that season, which crazy enough, was not an Olympic qualifier, which was devastating to me but there, there was two, I've never been a fan of the qualification systems, but we had two races in Argentina. One of them was an Olympic qualifier and one of them wasn't. And I got a podium at the one that wasn't, but then I still went on to qualify for the Olympics that year without that podium meaning anything, which that was just, it was just kind of crazy to, to think about. And like, that was another, you know, adverse situation setback that I had to get through, but yeah, I mean But it I've, brings
1: you more confidence. For
2: sure. For sure. Yeah. And then I guess getting on the podium for the first time was kinda when I, you know, you realize like, I heard I can do this. Like, now I I've done it. Like God, you know, it's it's really difficult in the sport too. Like you can get in a big final and not get on the podium and that's a pretty tough pill to swallow. Which I've definitely that's happened quite a few yep, times yep, to me. Yeah. Yep. Just happened recently, but yeah, I would say like that qualification process is the, was the most grueling part of it, and then the Olympics is just like the cherry on top. And re- especially that the first Olymp- my first Olympics in twenty eighteen was just like I couldn't have drawn up. It was just like the fairy tale situation. Everything about it was just unbelievable. Like everything, everything you hear would expect. Like imagine what going to an Olympics is like. Like that's really how it was.
1: Oh my gosh! So, so, but you didn't, you didn't podium at the Olympics, and no. y- you still had the most amazing experience. You came off, and you were like, "All right, we're just gonna keep going." Are Are you kind of of the mindset at that point where you're like, "I'm gonna ride this thing as long as I can." Now I'm having fun.
2: Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, I get the, the other thing is like, when the results don't go your way in snowboard cross, like you just If I've learned, and I think this is where I have learned, like probably I would say, like I said, that's, that's my strength is like to have the mental toughness to push through that. But, um, yeah, like looking back on it, 2018 was actually like pretty devastating because I did have such a good chance for a medal at that one. Um, but crazily enough, like in the semifinals of that race, I was in a transfer position. So I was in the top half of the, with there, there was six at that Olympics and I ended up getting taken out from, behind from another athlete and, you know, those things happened and I had a major crash and I, like my back was pretty severely messed up. Um, and I get, you know, and I just, to me, when that happened, when my feet go above my head and I slam and. I You know, that that was it for me for the day. But I get up and I finish the course, which a lot of times when, you know, when you take a slam that hard, you just like exit the course and and go down the side. But I don't know what it was, but I just was what like... What was I, the
1: Olympics you had to finish? Yeah,
2: yeah. So I finished the course um, and I'm coming down towards the end, like coming to the last turn, I come over a jump and I see two other athletes that had like crashed and they actually had like really gnarly injuries. Um, so I get to the bottom, come over the last jump and I the crowd just goes crazy. And I had actually gotten third place in that (laughs) race and got, went into the big final, which was just like, it was just, I mean, that's like, that's border cross. It's Sometimes the the you, coolest, sometimes it's the dumbest sport ever. But. Honestly,
1: just keep going. Right? Like, just keep just going. Just keep going. What a cool cool opportunity. Yeah. But then you were injured in the final.
2: I was like I I don't think I've ever braced a heat where I was in more pain. Definitely not, like not even close, but I like it almost feels like I just blacked out. Like I don't really remember the whole scenario, but my coach was like just being super supportive, coaches. And I just did, yeah, I just didn't have it in that final because I was, I could barely like really not move my back. And I think I was guarding it the whole way down. And then, then there ended up being another big crash in the final. And it was just, it was a mess. But, but yeah, like, get down but was in the Olympic big final at my first Olympics like doesn't get much cooler than that and uh and my whole family was there and a bunch of my friends and cousins it was just so much fun yeah
1: awesome awesome well and after that Olympics you um you won your world championship didn't you
2: I did yeah that was uh that was I guess the the pinnacle of my career right there was 2019 world championships um everything and just had just been going well like up until that point after the olympics i had a really good result um was i was the the first american to qualify for the team going into um, world championships that year which is pretty darn cool and then i uh yeah, I just felt like felt it on that course. There was kind of a, a super steep start section that went into some big jumps right away, and it was pretty terrifying. Yeah, uh, going down that 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 start into the first turn, and I think that's that's really where I like um, made a difference on on the in the races because I just. I felt like I just went for it there and I would just make like pretty much every pass. And if I needed to make any passes I would before the first turn and then just being first all the way to the finish line. So for me, that's like as good as I could draw it up for a snow, like a, a border cross outcome or just like a course or race. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just all the, all the things coming together
1: a lot of people would say that's as close as you're gonna get to flow in uh border cross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the flow state. <laughs> right. Really cool. Um is it was it one of those races where it just felt like everything was right?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what goes through your mind at the top of the gate, like when you're getting ready to go?
2: Actually, I think that um I feel like I really have gotten very good at clearing my mind about any thoughts about like, I, I'm not thinking about the, the course so much. I'm not thinking about anything outside of just like, I guess, positive talk. Like you got this, you're going to beat these guys. Like that's, I think that's pretty much where I've learned to get to in my career. Um, yeah. And I, I guess like, it wasn't just perfect. I, I, I had a few heats that day where like, I didn't have the best start, which, and that's always been my, um, weakest area of the course is the start and the strongest area. Like I really get it on the straights and corners and passing people. So I did have to make some, quite a few like good passes and that it just Kind of the passes happened like I drew them up in my head every time. So yeah, it was just pretty, pretty awesome.
1: Oh my gosh. You know, mental like imagery is visualization. So cool. So amazing. So like we've been going and going. I feel like we could talk for a whole other hour, but we've right, got another right. Olympics to cover here. Um, you just, I, I first came across you when I was watching the 2022 Olympics with my daughter. And you're one of the reasons this podcast exists, because I got so fired up after moving here and watching our presentation of Olympians at and Hill and Winter Sports Club was so behind everybody. And I was like, I want to interview every single one of the Steamboat Olympians. And then I was like, <laughs> yeah. but then I would just have like the Steamboat Olympian podcast on my podcast because I have another podcast. And I was like, no, we need our own podcast. So anyway you are part of the reason this even exists to help parents and kids and, you know, inspire people. And we watched you and I just felt a lot of pride, even though I didn't know you at the time. I was like, you know, this little town can produce such amazing human beings. And I understand what it means to be in like a rabbit hole of high pressure, you know, high stress situations. And here you are too, during a COVID Olympics, which I hope we never have again. But like, all these oh, man, extra restrictions and all kinds of yeah. things. So I know that um, maybe you can take us through what Beijing was like for you.
2: Well, it's unfortunately I, I haven't really been like too um, public about this whole story. Cause it's not really a good story. It, it's just all about like, really for me, it's like dealing with adversity and it was all just surrounded with COVID. So long story short, Um, before, before the Olympics, we were going to the last qualifier was in Russia and me and another athlete got all our bags lost going over flying over. We ended up having to stay in a hotel Denver for a while before we could get flights. And they like, and we get over, realize our bags were all lost, um, and go through this whole debacle, just trying to get to the race. We get there, get the bags, uh, shout out to Deb Smith, who's a buddy of mine's mom that lives here and she works at the Hayden Airport. She literally went, flew down to Denver, found my bags sitting like in some random place and got them on a plane and sent them to me. Otherwise, I would have never, literally never probably seen those bags again. Um, And that had all your gear. All my, yeah, all my stuff. So, so we get there. Um, have like get there on training day which normally when we get places we show up a few days early to get like acclimated and, um, so we show up on training day qualification the next day we both of us qualify and then we're sitting down in this kind of locker room area but ready to go back to the hotel and we get a call from our coach and he's like where are you guys we're just waiting to get on this bus and um, he's like separate yourselves from everybody you both tested positive for COVID so we're taking COVID tests the whole time oh god so yeah it was kind of like you know during the whole COVID thing this was like the worst nightmare scenario and so we both tested positive for COVID and we didn't get to there's two two races at that stop so we didn't get to race in either of those and we were both kind of freaking out like was that gonna hurt our chances of qualifying But luckily, we both ended up qualifying for the Olympics. We're stuck in Russia for a week. Isolation. Not together, also. Like, in our own hotel rooms, in these crummy hotel rooms that we couldn't leave at all. They're just bringing us, like, garbage food. So, go through that. Then we go, we have a a month. From the date we got COVID, we had a month before leaving for the Olympics. So, we were in Austria the whole time trying to do everything we could to, like, make sure we're flushing it out of our systems doing all this. Had heard how, like, strict all the testing was in China, and so we were pretty terrified the whole time going into it. Um, But we thought we were going to be totally fine, so we get there, get to China. Obviously, just the craziest scene as far as the COVID stuff goes. Like, not at all what you would expect for an Olympics, but it was pretty, like, remarkable to see their just system and all that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, it really just was like the COVID games. It didn't didn't have that same, like, Olympic uh, vibe to it uh, I had experienced before.
1: I can understand. And it added all these layers of stress that right. athletes don't really need. Yeah. In but addition we were, to just the stress of competing.
2: Yeah. But we were having a great time. We were like, you know, our... Our team environment was so good. We were all being so positive. Um, unfortunately for me, the I think like it was like the third test we had taken on our first day there. So it was kind of crazy. We're just getting tested nonstop. Some lady had like basically swabbed my brain and I get a positive test after I'm, you know, totally had COVID, probably one of the most safe people to be around. So I get a positive test and their protocol immediately I get, like, put into isolation. I'm in, like, my own room. Couldn't be around my teammates. Couldn't go to the dining hall. Couldn't do this. Couldn't go to opening ceremonies. So, I'm pretty, de- like, pretty devastated. Pretty down. Like, really just, like, trying to dig deep and um just get through it, you know? It was, like, such a devastating thing for me. Like, I would say, like, all my other teammates did get to have a pretty cool experience still, even with the situation. But I like, it really wasn't for me. It was, like, just kind of a big mess. It was the strangest thing, you know? It was, like, obviously so dumb. I was one of the safest people to be around. I couldn't give COVID to anyone. But so when we were up on the mountain and in the competition area, it's like they didn't care at all. Right, right. It was just wild. So, there's like these two different worlds at the Olympics for me. But, um,
1: so you had to use a lot of those tricks you learned yeah. over the past like 15 years to right. really get yourself through this. I keep just hearing too, like positive, positive. And you've really, like, you've really learned how to train your mind to mm-hmm. reground yourself and get yeah. through that stuff. And that's a skill that's going to take you throughout your life.
2: Yep. Which is awesome. Yep. Definitely.
1: So, you ended up 15th. Am I right?
2: 15th. Yep. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it was it was just really difficult to get myself into that good place. Mm. Um, and I really wasn't like we had a couple days training on the course. I didn't feel good on my board. I didn't feel good on the course. Nothing really came together. I had not a, a pretty bad qualifying run for myself and um I was just like in, it was just not where you want to be right <laughs> at an olympics and then i all of a sudden like in the race i would i think it just like came over me like this is the olympics and like this is what you've worked so hard for and you're like you're competing for your country you're competing for your hometown you're competing for your family and friends and um all of a sudden i felt like i was the fastest person on that course that day in that race like I was right in there in the start, which is kind of for me, that's what I always, as long as I'm in there in the start, like in my head, I'm going to beat you down to the finish. Like that's kind of where it was. And I found that speed in the race that day and in my first heat, I ended up beating the Olympic champion, went on to win the Olympics, but I beat him in the first seat. So it was like pretty all time for me. And then the next heat was one of the most stacked heats I've ever been in. It was um Alessandro Hammerle, the Austrian who did end up winning. Um it's German Martin Norl that he was the current World Cup points leader. He'd won like five races going to that season. And so we're we're in that heat. I end up getting around passing Martin, which not many people had done that season. So that was pretty cool. And then towards towards the last few turns I started making a pass on Alessandro, and he just brought his line down lower and made me run right into a panel, and that was the end of my day there. So,
1: yeah, it's like uh, it, again the highs and lows all highs in one and day. Lows, yeah, boom, you know. Ugh. I want to send you off to world champs with some really positive things to think through here or to to think about as we go. So I'm going to do three more questions and we're going to wrap it up and let you get on your way to have another story to share when you get (laughs) back. Um, My first question, and you may have already kind of answered this is what does success mean to you?
2: I I think to me means just like, Putting it all out there and just having having no regrets after you after you do something and um, know that you did everything you could in your power to to do your best. Re- I mean, really, like that's what it's been about for me is like learning that mental toughness because uh, about success and realizing that success isn't just about a result because it. I mean, you're not going to get that result. All the time that you want, you know, and so it's. I really think that uh, as like if you can just be proud of like the effort you put in, I think that's like what success has meant to me.
1: Oh, okay, that's a good one. All right, here's an even bigger one. What do you want people to remember you for?
2: Well, to me, when I first think about that, it's not like I don't think about like my sport or anything that has to do with snowboard cross. I'd probably say more like in town locally i want people to like know me and remember memory as uh just like that guy that you know did this had these great accomplishments but is just like a normal guy that you can go talk to and have a conversation with I would, I would probably say that's like the biggest thing for me is just being being a good person being um yeah
1: I bet you that's what the kids you coach think of you.
2: I think so. That's, I bet that's what many that's of that's what I'm working on. Yeah. I
1: bet many of them don't even know what you've done in your sport. <laughs> they just <laughs> yeah. think you're like that cool Mick guy who's like, you know, shows me how to how to be a good snowboarder.
2: <laughs> well, you know, they get they hear Olympian though, and they kind of freak out. They run around until every single well, person in the lift finds so. <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> that is fun yeah. too. All right, so. Um, there is one last question that we ask every guest that comes on the show. So here it is. Are you ready for it? Ready. All right. What is the greatest lesson you've learned through sport?
2: I've thought about this a little bit and there's obviously so many lessons. Um, for me in my career, it's just it's like it's all just been about never giving up. Um with anything in life. Never giving up and just keep doing your best. That's really what I think it's all about.
1: You have definitely proven that statement and uh, I cannot wait to see what you do. It's like we said, you know, when you've got perspective and this is what you're going into your final event of your career with is perspective, um, even more magic can happen. So I'm wishing the best magic for you coming up soon.
2: Thank you so much, Nicole. It's been awesome doing this with you.
0: So fun. Go get them. Thank you for listening to the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show presented by Honey Stinger. Check out the club's winter and summer programs at sswsc.org. If you have a special topic or guest you want featured, we'd love to hear from you. Now get out there and support, lead, or be a champion on or off the mountain.